The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. It's great to join with you as we uh, come around God's Word this morning. Uh, before we do that, I just want to really commend our young people. Um, the whole service today was put together by them. It, it was our virtual online youth takeover. Uh, as you've seen, they've been involved in uh, lots of different parts of the service, with the, even the audio recording and the video editing. They've been a part of every aspect of this service. So young people, thank you. You've done a great job. I uh, really appreciate uh, your contribution to this service and your involvement in the life of our church. Well, if you're uh, joining us for the first time, we especially welcome you. If you're a regular PCC member, welcome. And if you're relatively new to our church and you've joined us through online church, we welcome you as well. And we look forward to getting to know you in the days and weeks that lie ahead, particularly as we start meeting face-to-face -face more. We hope that you can come along and join with us. Uh, but this week, we're continuing our series that we began last week, uh, The God You're Looking For. Um, Lewis launched us off. Uh, by looking at the God who knows everything, who knows it all, uh, God's omniscience. And this week, uh, we're going to be looking at another one of those omnis. But before we launch into that, I guess getting us to think about this series, The God You're Looking For. You see, uh, we, we can formulate our image of God, our perception of God in lots of different ways. So many things contribute to that idea that we carry of who God is, whether it's our upbringing, uh, experiences we've had in our childhood or even later in life, uh, things we learned at Sunday school or that we heard at church, or even our reading of scripture or our misunderstanding of some things that we've uh, read in scripture. And the danger is that we can formulate an image of God that's to our suiting, our convenience or our preference. But the danger of this is we end up with an image of God or a God that's really not worth worshipping, uh, a God that's a bit bizarre and grotesque in some ways, a God that is really not worth following or loving or serving. Um, I remember when our kids were little, one of their favorite toys was Mr. Potato Head. And some of you kids and some of you adults even may know this toy. And uh, what it was was kind of this potato and it had all these holes and it came with all these different body parts. And there was a Mrs. Potato Head too and I think baby potato heads. And you could put the arms and the legs in and it had a moustache if it was Mr. Potato Head and eyes and ears and I think a hat uh, and uh, various different parts. And I remember one of the things our kids loved doing was to put the pieces in different places. Um, they'd put the you know, hand where the eye used to go and the eyes where the legs used to go and just really kind of mess it all up. And what you ended up was, with was a very grotesque Mr. Potato Head. And sometimes that's kind of what we do with our image of God. We put together the pieces and we fashion it after our own preferences and our own desires. But what we end up with is really not the God that we're looking for. And our, so our hope in this series is to really get into the Bible and see how God reveals himself in the Bible. What God tells us about himself. And our hope and our prayer is that as we journey through this series, you will find that the God of the Bible, the true and living God, is actually the God that you're really looking for. The God that you're longing for in the deepest places of your heart. And sure, there might be things that might not be comfortable or that we might have to wrestle with or we sit uncomfortably with. But at the end of the day, that is who God is and that is who God has revealed himself to be. And that is really the God that 
we're looking for and a God that's worth loving and worshiping. And we hope whether you're, you've been a Christian for years, whether you're relatively new to Christianity or whether you're not even a Christian and you're kind of dipping your toe in very gingerly and carefully to kind of look into and check out what this whole Christian thing is all about. We hope that this series will help you and encourage you and bless you and that in the process you will come to know and love the God of the Bible and like many people around the world want to worship and follow him with your whole heart. Well let me pray and we'll jump into this morning's message. Father we thank you that you are the true and living God and that you have made yourself known to us through your word that you speak into our hearts by your spirit and Lord we ask For your Holy Spirit to come as we come around your word and to open our hearts to receive the revelation of yourself that you have to give us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would guide me, you give me wisdom and you'll give me your grace and your anointing and enabling to speak and communicate clearly. And Lord, for everyone listening in their homes uh, or watching on their devices, that you will give us the grace to hear uh, what your spirit is saying and to have uh, a clear understanding of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So this morning, uh, my message is entitled, The God You're Looking For is the One Who Is Always There. The One Who Is Always There. And the fancy theological term for this is omnipresence. Omnipresence. And one writer uh, called Wayne Grudem, who's a theologian, he described, he defined it this way. God is present at every point of space with His whole being. Let me repeat that. God is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet he acts differently in different places. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit. What that means is that God is no more or no less present anywhere in the universe than where, he, where you are right now. God is present in the same way, in his fullness, in all of his full being, in every place in every point of the universe that's the omnipresence of god now that's a really interesting idea because see all religions have this idea of god being either infinite great majestic distant aloof or being personal knowable intimate and close one of the unique things about Christianity is that God is both of those things. God is both infinite and intimate. He is both transcendent and imminent. He is incredibly beyond anything we can wrap our heads around. So in omnipresence language, He fills the entire universe. But He's also the God who is close, who wants to be known, who wants to make Himself known to you, who wants to walk alongside you, who is right there with you in His fullness wherever you are. So He's also the God who is personal. He's the God who is intimate. What an incredible truth for us to explore this morning. So by way of clarification, there's a few things I want to kind of say right from the get-go to really clarify what we mean when we say God is everywhere, that God is omnipresent, and what we don't mean by that. So here's a few thoughts. One, we need to clearly understand that if we grab this truth, God is not more present in some places than others. Now, I know, again, that seems obvious to say, but, you know, sometimes we think God is more present at church than He is in my living room. 
or God is more present in Israel than he might be in Pakistan, or God is more present in America than some other country, or God is more present in Australia, or we might use language like where two or three are gathered, God is present as though he's not present when two or three are not gathered. So we need to be clear that God is no more or no less in any place in the universe than he is wherever you are in any place in the universe. God's presence is everywhere. The second thing we need to make clear is that God's omnipresence, His presence being everywhere, does not mean that He is in everything. That's a, 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 a worldview called pantheism, where people believe that God is everything and everything is God. That there is a, a part of God's essence or part of God's being in every, everything, uh, in the trees, in the rocks, in the plants, in the rainbows, in the sun, in you, in me. God, there's a part of God in us. That's certainly not what the Bible teaches. When the Bible talks about God's being everywhere, it, it very much makes clear that God is separate from His creation. Even though He fills all of the universe and fills all of creation, He is separate and distinct from creation. A good way of thinking about this is how when you take a sponge and you soak it and you saturate it in water, that water completely saturates and fills every part of that sponge. Well, kind of. The, the illustration is always going to be limited when it comes to describing God. But let's assume for argument's sake that the water permeates and saturates every fiber, every atom of that sponge. Yet it remains distinct from the sponge. It never becomes the sponge. That's what we need to make clear about this idea of omnipresence. And these two next thoughts are critical for us to grab because I think particularly in our Pentecostal stream, we can think of God's presence in wrong ways because we think of these things. The third thing I want to say to you is that God's presence is not based on our feelings. See, sometimes, you know, we come to church and we hear our favorite worship song and the hair on the back of our neck kind of tingles and we, we get that tingly feeling all over us and we can fall into the trap of thinking, wow, God is really, really here today. God is here more. I feel Him more, more closely. And we kind of fall into the trap of thinking that somehow God was in this space, in those 10, 15 minutes of us singing together, uh, more, more of God's presence was there. Uh, or, you know, we, we, can, we can kind of go into the opposite direction where when we don't feel those feelings, when we don't feel that God is near, we kind of feel that God is distant or He's abandoned us or He has forsaken us or He's not close to us. Now, we need to understand that this idea of God being everywhere, God filling the universe, is a factual statement of the character of God. It is not based on our feelings. Which means whether we feel it or, or we don't, whether we get that tingly feeling or not, you know, whether we're in church and we really sense that or not, it doesn't mean that God is not there or more there. A good way of understanding this is whenever the Bible talks about God's presence being manifest, it means that, that God's presence is being revealed or exposed. That's what happens in church or in those special times when we sense God's nearness. It's not that God has drawn any closer to us. It's just that God has made us aware or we, we've become aware of God being near us, as near as He always was. And so we need to understand that even when we don't feel it, that God is still right there beside us, as close as close can be. So it's not based on our feelings. The other thing, the last thing we need to say is that God is not only present to bless. 
Now, for sure, in many places in the Bible, when it talks about God drawing near to someone or God coming close, or when James uses language like if we submit to God and draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. It doesn't mean that God's pre- we, we're experiencing more of God's presence. The biblical language generally, when it uses that kind of language, seems to teach that God is present to bless. See, because the Bible teaches that God can be present in different places to, in different ways to do different things. Now, predominantly, when it talks about God's presence among God's people uh, and God drawing near to people, it carries the idea of God being present to bless. But there are other scriptures that also teach that God can be present to just sustain. It's like when it talks about Jesus' presence filling the universe. Uh, It's not talking about Jesus being present any more or any less. It just means that Jesus' presence is there to sustain the universe. And there'll be other times when God's presence is associated with God's judgment. So God can be present to judge. And part of that judgment is the withdrawing of His presence or us feeling that sense of God not being there. It's not that He's left or He's stepped back from us, but He's making us less aware of His presence because part of His presence is also to judge. So all that to say that sometimes we can think that we're really close to God when God turns up and does what we want Him to do, when He fixes a problem, when He changes our situation, when He heals us, when He you know, alleviates a pain or a discomfort that we might have. But I want to say to you, this idea of God being everywhere, that the the God who is always there is no different even when God doesn't change anything in our lives. When our circumstances and our situations don't change because God's presence is not always there just to bless. For sure, if you've been a Christian for any duration of time, as I have and many others have, you will know those special moments when God's presence seems so real. And I've experienced that of this overwhelming feeling of love and joy and peace and sometimes in the midst of incredibly difficult painful circumstances when we open our hearts to God and we really feel God drawing near to us and all of that language is true but it's true from our perspective and we need to keep that in mind it's not that God has come any closer it's just that God has made his presence real to us so heaven is not the place where God is more present And we need to be clear on that. It's not that God is more present in heaven than He is here on earth. No, what it means is that God's presence is there in a very unique and special way to bless and to manifest His glory. So the way God God reveals His presence in heaven is different to how He reveals His presence here on earth. That's what heaven is. The place where God reveals His presence in its fullest extent to bless and to glorify Himself. So I hope all of that kind of theological stuff makes sense and that it's helped you understand this idea of God being near to you, the God who is always near to us, even when we don't feel His presence and even when we don't see Him coming in and saving the day and changing our circumstances and making everything good in our lives. So I want to now move to more practical stuff and kind of unpack and and, uh, speak about a couple of um, implications that flow out of this theological truth that makes this real for you and and for me and for us. The first thing is that because God is everywhere in His fullness, in His complete presence, God is the only one who can really meet our deepest longings for companionship. 
And, you know, I want to read you a couple of passages um, that will help us think through some of these things uh, about the omnipresence of God. And there are many, many passages that talk about God's presence. But I just want to read you a couple, and we're going to spend uh, the bulk of our time in Psalm 139 that Lewis uh, spoke about last week as well. So the first one is Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Verses 23 and 24. And if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Uh, and while you're doing that, I just want to say um, my notes. Uh, there'll be a link in the YouTube uh, uh, description. You can click on that link and it'll take you to my notes. I'll be making some cross-references and, and using some quotes. And you can have those notes. I, I don't have the TV here with me today. Um, but you can have all of these cross-references and the scripture references and the points. Um, and, uh, and you'll be able to grab those if you click on that link. Um, and so you don't need to stress out if you can't keep up and grab everything in your notes. So Jeremiah 23, verse 23 and 24 says this. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? Do not I feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? These are profound questions. And Psalm 139 expands on these thoughts and these questions. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 12 and then the last couple of verses. Psalm 139, if you want to flick there, it says this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You'll notice the, the infinite and intimate language that's coming out here. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And then jumping down to verse Verse 23 of Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So you see, we see the, the, the infiniteness of God and the intimacy of God. And like I said to you, the first, the first implication from this truth is that God is the only one that can truly satisfy our longings for companionship. Because He's the only one that can always be there for us. No matter where we are, no matter where we go, it's really only God that can be there for us. I mean, look at how David talks about this in verse 7 onwards. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. God is everywhere. And because God is everywhere, He's the one that can truly satisfy our longings for a companion that will always be there for us. You see, God created us that way. God created us to long for and, and, and want companionship. 
And I know many people are blessed with great families, uh, with great spouses, with kids, and, and with very, very close relationships. And there are others who are estranged from their families, who don't have a partner, who are single. And we kind of wrestle with many, many feelings of loneliness and angst. But let me tell you, even those who have the best relationships, who, who have the closest friends, who have incredible marriages, who have a great relationship with their kids and their parents, have experienced the pain of disappointment of them not being able to be there for them. And I know if you're watching this that at some point in your life you've probably experienced that yourself. Where your best friends, your closest friends, your, your spouse, the people you love and care for the most deep, and in the deepest way have failed you by not being able to be there for you. For lots of different reasons. I remember when I was younger, uh, this is not a story I'm proud to tell, but my dad taught us how to swim very, very early. And many of my cousins didn't know how to swim and so would often come with us to the pool to get swimming lessons from my dad. And there was one time one of my cousins came with us and you know, because my brother and I were pretty confident swimmers, we were out in the deep end and he was walking along the outside of the pool and he was kind of standing there really wanting to jump into the deep end of the pool and be there with us. And so I said, yeah, just jump in, jump in. I'm, I'm here. I'll, I'll catch you. You're going to be safe. I'll, I'll grab you. No problem. And so my cousin, he believed me and he trusted me and he jumped in and went straight to the bottom. And I panicked. I freaked out and I was floundering around and going, oh, no, I, I, I don't know what to do. Thankfully, my dad was close by and was able to stick his hand in and pull my cousin out. And the, the other story I've told you, you know, is about my dad when we were caught up in the Civil War and my mom and my brother and I were hiding under a bed and my dad wasn't there because he was hiding and, and he was running for his own life because the mobs were after him trying to get him and my dad wasn't there. And I know as a father, I have not been there for my kids. There have been so many times when I've really wanted to be there for my kids to protect them and, and to be close to them and to, to, to guard them and I haven't been able to be there. And that's the reality of our lives, that no matter how close our relationships and friendships are, our friends and our, our loved ones and our family will fail us and will let us down because they can't be there. Not because they're bad people, not because you know, they don't love us, but they just can't. But our infinite and intimate, omnipresent God, the God who is always there, He can be there for you. That's an incredible implication of this doctrinal truth. The second implication, um, God sees everything. Now, I know Lewis touched a bit, about, bit on this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, that God knows everything just like that because God is everywhere. God is right next to us all of the time. God sees everything. And again, uh, David brings this out in the first part of the Psalms. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Where can I go from your spirit? Your, your spirit? And then in verse 12, he says, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God sees everything. And we see many times in the Bible, the characters of the Bible sometimes forgot this truth. Think about Moses when he killed that Egyptian. The Bible says that he looked this way, he looked that way. He just forgot to look up or look right next to him because God was right there and God saw it all. Think of David when the army went out to war and he was on the top of his balcony and there was no one around and he thought no one sees me. 
and he, he lusts after Bathsheba and then he commits adultery with her and then commits, he murders her husband Uriah and fell into the trap and the deception of thinking God didn't see it. And then God sends a prophet, Nathan, to rebuke David and remind him, no, David, I was right there. My presence was there and I saw it. You see, God sees everything. He sees how you treat your family, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children. He sees how you conduct yourself at work. He sees, you know, the business deals that you make. He sees what you do on the internet. He sees uh, the things that you binge on Netflix. He sees your thoughts and your heart. He sees everything that you do. He sees how you drive. He sees how you treat strangers. He, He sees what you do with your money and how you spend your money and how you spend your time. God sees everything. One writer made this profound quote, and I think it's great, a great quote. Hypocrisy is born in compartmentalization. We leave God in church and think He doesn't accompany us throughout the week. But the God who is always there is always there. But lest we kind of freak out and go, that's a bit big brotherish. That's a bit creepy. I feel like God is kind of stalking me, like the Sting song used to say, in every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. That's really not the God of the Bible. God's presence is absolutely there. And like David says in Psalm 139 verse 10, look at the way God is there. He says, even there, wherever there is, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. So even though God sees everything you do, He's not there as big brother. He's not there stalking you. He's not there with His hand raised wanting to smack you. He's there with His hand raised outstretched. He's there to guide you. He's there with his right hand, his strong and mighty hand to hold you fast. You see, Galatians 6, 7 and 8, Paul says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. You see, when God is there with you, he's not there to smack you down. He's there to guide you to the best way to live. He's there to offer you a a way of living that's going to lead to life and blessing and peace and not destruction and death. So God sees everything. The third implication is that God's presence can calm our hearts. Calm our hearts. And, and David brings this out in these last two verses in Psalm 139 when he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. My anxious thoughts. And let's face it, there'll be many things in life that range from the irritating fears to the perplexing, terrifying fears where we think that we're actually going to die. And I've been in some of those situations where panic grips your heart and we're, we're, we're so anxious that we feel paralyzed to act and do anything. And the wonderful truth that comes out of this theological reality, the God who is always there, is that God's presence can calm our fears. And we see this pattern throughout the Bible where in, in several instances, and if you do a Bible study on this, you, I'm sure you'll be greatly blessed. Whenever God says, don't be afraid, do not be afraid or fear not, you will often find the promise for I will be with you. Here's just a couple of examples. Deuteronomy 20 verses 3 to 4. Hear Israel, today you are going to battle against your enemies. Do not be faint hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. So it's kind of dealing with every kind of fear category. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. What an incredible promise that would have been for the people of God. 
or Isaiah 41.10, which is probably a really well-known passage. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, this is such a profound thing. Uh, remember when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and the storm came and they were freaking out. That's why Jesus rebuked them. He said, oh, you of little faith, didn't you believe? You've got me in the boat with you. Why are you f- afraid? See, when you know the reality that God is right there with you, the God who is always there, it gives you an incredible assurance when you go through the fearful storms of life. When you get that scary medical report and your doctor calls you and say, listen, those tests, there's a few concerning things I want you to come in to do further tests. Terrifying. Or when you have a parent-teacher meeting and your teacher says, the teacher says, you know, your child, we've been noticing some really concerning behaviors and we think that there might be a serious problem here. Or when your husband or your wife starts making excuses for why they're not home a lot and you start fearing that there might be something horribly wrong. Plenty of things can happen in our lives that terrify us and grip us to the very core. But what a wonderful assuring truth that God's presence is there for us to calm our fears. I remember when Micah was little, he was scared of the dark. I mean, he was really scared of the dark. And the fear would cripple him so much, he wouldn't be able to even go into his room to get one of his toys. Or if a ball rolled under you know, a dark table, he would be scared. And he would often get Ebony to come with him and, and try and be there with him. And there, there'd be times when he would be holding Ebony's hand as he walked into the dark. But he still had to go. And see, that's the thing. God's presence doesn't mean that the darkness will go away. What it means is that in those darkest places, God is right there and He's got His hand out for us to hold. We might still have to walk through the darkest valley, but as Psalm 23 says, the Lord will be with you and His hand will be there for you to hold. You don't have to walk through those dark valleys alone. You have God's hand to hold. So I guess that that all sounds good and you might be thinking, you know, well, but how can I know? How can I know that God's presence is really there? How can, when I don't feel it, when I can't see it, how can I really know when those terrifying realities of life come crashing down on me? How can I know that God's really there for me? Well, for me, here's three Ps. I know Lewis talked about three Bs, I think, last week. But today I want to give you three Ps because there's no screen and hopefully these things will help you remember these things. Three Ps that assure us that God's presence is really there with you, even when you can't see it and you can't know it and you can't feel it. Number one, His plan. You see, God's plan was always to be with His people from the very beginning. In Genesis, we see God walking with Adam in the garden. And then when we come to the children of Israel, We see God giving them the tabernacle and the glory of God coming down and a whole bunch of rules that God gave them. Why? So that He could walk among them. And then in Israel, when God established the nation of Israel and He gave them the temple and the glory of God comes down and fills the temple, again, it was so that God could be close. God could be with His people in a very tangible, manifest way. And all through the Old Testament, we see that reality. And then we come to the the crowning moment of John chapter 1, where the Bible says that 
God wanted so much to be with His people that He came down, He took flesh, He became one of us, and He dwelt among us. He walked among us. He touched, He, he spoke, He breathed, he, he, he ate, and He spent time with people. That was His heart all along. That was the plan all along. And then, you know, as, as the story unravels and, and Jesus is about to physically go, He tells His disciples, don't be discouraged. It's good for you to go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, He's not just going to be with you, but He's going to be in you. And then you get all the way to the end of the Bible. And in Revelation, we're told this incredible thing in chapter 21 and verse 3. God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them forever. He will dwell with them. That was the plan all along. In John 17, 24, Jesus, in praying to the Father, He says, Father, I pray that these, my people, will be with me forever, that they will see my glory and be with me where I am. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, Paul talks about the coming of Christ, and he says, we will be reunited with Jesus. We'll join Him in the air, and we will be with Him forever. See, that was the plan all along. And if that's God's plan from Genesis to Revelation, that ought to remind us and encourage us that that's God's plan at work even right now. And He's the God that is always there because that was His plan all along. The second P is God's provision. And as I mentioned, there's only one thing that can separate us from God's love. One thing that can separate us from God's presence, and that's our sin, our rebellion, our disobedience, our turning our back on Him, as it were. But the Bible says that God loved us and wants us to be with Him so much that He provided a way through Jesus for that separating wall, for that dividing wall, for that chasm to be bridged. And the Bible says that God became human in, in the person of the Son, in Jesus. He came, walked among us, lived a perfect life, and He died on the cross for you and me. He took on Himself our judgment, our wrath, our separation from the Father, which is why He cried out on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus experienced the judgment of God, the judging presence of God, the separation of God, the abandonment of God, the forsakenness of God, so that you and I never needed to. That's incredible. That's profound. In Romans 8, in the last part of that chapter, verses 31 to 39, Paul fleshes this out. He says that because Jesus died and rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God's provision in Jesus for our redemption and our salvation and our forgiveness to break down that separation and bring us to Himself, to become His friends, to, to, to no longer be in alienation, to no longer be in isolation, or to encourage us that God's presence is always there. Third P is God's promise. God's promise. You see, in, in Matthew 28, um, in the last part of that gospel, Jesus assures His people he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's Matthew 28, 20. And then in Hebrews 13, 5, God has said, the writer says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God's promise is there. You see, and the promise that Jesus made that he will be with us to the very end of the, very end of the age is made by a risen Savior. See, if Jesus was still in the tomb, he couldn't keep his promise. But he's alive. The Bible tells us he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And because that's true, Jesus can keep his promise. God can keep his promise. The only way, let me put it bluntly, the only way God is not right there next to you, the God, God is not with you, whatever you're going through, is if he can fail to keep his promise. Which means his character is not true. His character is not good. And, and throughout the Bible, we're told that God is good. He's faithful to His Word, faithful to His promises. He's a covenant, promise-keeping God. 
So the third P, God has made a promise that he will never leave us or forsake us and he is good on his word. So let me finish by drawing out some practical applications for us. How should we live in light of this? How should we live when the realities of life come crashing on us and we're terrified and we're panic stricken and, and we don't feel that God is close? How do, we, how do we respond? What are we supposed to do in that moment? Well, again, here's a few thoughts. Number one, pray. Pray. Uh, I think, you know, we, we need to choose to believe in the truth of what God has said about himself. That he is the God that is, who's always going to be there. See, it's a choice that we make. Whether we feel it or not, we choose to believe in who God has revealed himself to be. As the omnipresent God who is always there. And if we choose to believe that, then we come to God in prayer. And many people will testify, and I can testify, that in those moments of panic and anxiety, when I've stopped and just sat with God and opened my heart to God and come before God in prayer, I sense and feel the presence of God that was always there that I didn't feel. Not every time, not every time, maybe not even often, but there are many times when I've sensed the presence of God in a real way. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And listen to what he says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he finishes off in verse 9 by saying, And the God of peace will be with you. Many people have testified that in their darkest moments, in the darkest valleys, as they've walked terrifying, scary things, when they felt completely alone because nobody else was there, nobody else understood, nobody else could really be there for them. When they opened their heart to God in prayer, they sensed His peace and presence coming and ministering to them. Pray. The second thing you can do, which is the harder thing to do, is to surrender. Surrender. What do I mean by that? Well, in 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. You see, it's recognizing that we're not in control. It's recognizing that we, we can't manage our own lives. It's recognizing that we can't do it on our own. And so the writer uh, James say, uh, Peter says that we are to humble ourselves. And then cast our anxiety, surrender those things to God, give them over to God because we're confident that He knows, that He sees, and that He's right there with us. Let me end with the words of a song um, that are probably really, really famous, uh, that you're probably familiar with because it's really famous, and it's the blessing. And I speak this over you. It says, May His presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you, and within you. He is with you. He is with you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are right with us. Wherever we are, you are with us. And Lord, in this moment, as we still our hearts, Father, I pray, will you make your presence known to each person watching, each person listening, whether they're driving in their cars or watching on their devices. Lord, that in this moment, whatever they're going through, whether they're on the mountaintops or whether they're in the depths of despair, whether they're walking in the light 
or walking in the valley of the shadow of death, I pray, Father, that you would fill their hearts with your peace and that as the God of peace, that you will make yourself real, that you will make your presence known and that people will sense your nearness in such a real and powerful way. I pray, Father, whatever people are going through, they might still need to walk through those dark valleys, but I pray that they will know that you are there with them and that they will have your strong, steady hand to hold. I pray your blessing to rest on your people. Lord, that you will be with us as we go into this week and that you will make your presence real and known to us everywhere we go, that we would have this assurance that you are the God who is always there, who will never leave us or forsake us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.